Welcome to Beyond the Board, a podcast that explores the themes and real-life inspirations behind our favorite games. On today's episode of Beyond the Board, we'll be discussing the game Forbidden Desert. Forbidden Desert is a cooperative survival game designed by Matt Leacock and published by GameRight in 2013. Forbidden Desert is for two to five players, and a typical game takes 45 minutes to play. Enjoy the episode! Hi, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Mike Riemann. And I'm Spencer Campbell. And this is Beyond the Board. Today, we're talking about <laughs> Forbidden Desert. And I'm way too excited to be caught in a desert. Yeah, you do not want to be in this exact situation, <clears throat> but mm-hmm. it is, you do want to be playing this game. This is a very fun game. This is a fun game. This What's the a, situation we're looking at? Well, this is, a, this is a competitive game, competitive survival game, and the idea is you are part of a, a research team. You and the group of people that you've gotten together to play have been sent out and tasked with finding an ancient city in the desert. And within this city is supposedly a legendary flying machine. Mm-hmm. And they have the pieces for this machine in the game, but to give you, the listener, a, a visual image here, imagine a pirate ship with wings attached to the sides. Exhaust of the, pipes in the back, it looks like. Yeah, it kind of looks like a, a fish and a car and a pirate ship all got together and created this machine. If you're a steampunk fan, this sort of idea, these these airboats or airships is a very familiar idea. So imagine a a like a Victorian-esque style pirate ship that can fly in the desert. <laughs> and it's powered by a sun crystal that <laughs> harnesses know. the power of the sun. As you do. And the pieces are really nice. It's actually they're they're all colorful. It's not just a bunch of little like cards or or um just little like images it's it's an actual physical ship and you get a little compass you get a propeller that spins you have an actual metal engine i don't think it works i don't think it could run my car we haven't tested it yet no we haven't we'll give it a shot later uh and then you have your little clear power crystal that charges everything so that's the goal is to build this machine but Mm -hmm. how exactly do we build this machine what is this game even like yeah so this game um it's a cooperative game uh but imagine the pieces that we just described not on the board. What you see is a a set of tiles in a grid, and I think there's about 25 tiles, and each one of them looks exactly the same on the back. They look like a desert uh, with the little sky. I think there's Mm -hmm. two that are different that kind of allude to a water source, but you're never sure if it's going to be a dried up well or actually water. And when you go through this game, you're going to be excavating tiles as you step on them. And when you excavate them, you can flip it over and actually see what's your, what's underneath it. And you can find shelter. You can find uh, things that give you different items. You can find... The art's pretty cool. You'll find, like, pictures of this old lost city. Yeah, like oh, the, the hangar where the ship is hanging out or the launch pad. Uh-huh. Or even like an old, uh, looks like a room that looks like an office where they might have made plans for this flying machine mm-hmm. once. It looks like this entire civilization's built around this flying machine. Yeah, they really put all their money into this. <laughs> uh, but you're flipping these tiles over, and as you're doing this, a storm is raging, and the storm is moving around the the tiles, and they're represented by these sand blocks or these sand um, tiles as well that stack on top of the other ones. And the more sand that's on there, the harder it is to move. And if you lose all the sand from your stack, you basically the storm has picked up too much and the game is over. Mm. And you every turn you flip over a card, which either decides whether the storm picks up or gives you an item or something along those lines. And you're actually a cast of different characters in this game, everywhere from an explorer to an archaeologist to a meteorologist 
uh, and you all have different abilities. Mm-hmm. I think the last time we played, I was the water carrier. Mm-hmm. Which is a very vital role. Yeah, because like Mike was saying, you're, you're battling against time here in terms of the fact that there's a storm raging, but you're also the time in which your character is able to remain hydrated in this awful, awful desert scenario. And you're oftentimes trying to seek shelter so you don't have to use up your water or find sources of water. It's one of the many hazards that you have to deal with in this sort of this sort of game. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I was saying before, as if you run out of tiles, the storm is just too strong. There's actually a storm meter that'll let you know how bad the storm is getting, and that's really just changes the amount of cards you flip over at a time. And you only have one deck, and you go through the deck multiple times in a game because the storm is constantly raging. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a, there's a pretty fun mechanic on how you actually find the pieces in these tiles. It's not just like, hey, here is the piece on this tile. There'll actually be a tile that uh, gives you a direction and say, okay, it's going to be in this row. And then you'll find another tile that'll say, okay, it's going to be in this column. And where those two meet, the intersection point, that's where the piece is actually going to be. So it's just finding clues in this survival. So it's like a survival mystery cooperative yeah. game. Yeah. So it's fun. It's a nice game to play. It's a cooperative game as opposed to a lot of the competitive games that we've been talking about in in our podcast. This is a game where you sit down with some friends, definitely sit down with friends that you will be okay with (laughs) arguing and debating the importance of your next moves with, that you can make, (laughs) you know, you can agree with. Because if you take the risk... And go somewhere, and it doesn't pan out the way you want it to. You can make some. Oh, the group is getting so mad at you. (laughs) Uh, As the water carrier, I I just kind of lugged around water, and Uh I made sure that I kept people alive as long as I could. (laughs) There generally is always like one person who kind of tries to take the lead, and Mm -hmm. then they'll butt heads with somebody else. Sure. So it's it's a very fun game, cooperative game, and uh, it's all about surviving the desert. And so I guess our goal here today is beyond telling you about a very fun competitive or cooperative game that you can play is to talk a little bit about desert survival. Mm-hmm. And we want to preface this with uh, we, we are not experts at all. We play board games. Mm-hmm. We play board games. <laughs> I was a Boy Scout. Were you a Boy Scout? I was absolutely not a Boy Scout. So Spencer I, was not a Boy Scout. I'm afraid of snakes. I don't like swimming in lakes. You don't like the woods or I, the desert. I <laughs> baked a lot of cakes as a kid, though. So you didn't bake me any cakes. Oh, I'm sorry, Mike. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, so I know I know a little bit about being outdoors, but by no means do I know what it's like to survive in the desert. Sure. But we did our research, and we think we have a pretty decent idea now. So we're kind of we're going to describe two different scenarios here. One in which you actually have prepared to go into the desert. You have, for whatever reason, have intention of going into or through a desert, and you have the ability to prepare for it. How should you prepare? What are the best ways of taking care of that? And a lot of the research that we found was geared towards people who do this, who actually decide to go into the desert, and then okay, you went into the desert by yourself. Now you're there. Something happened. You got to get out. Right. What do you do? A lot of the the information that we found is under the guise that you have some sort of supply system with you. You that you have a kit of sorts that would have some pretty basic necessities for survival. If you're mm-hmm. if you're out there and you have nothing but the clothes on your back, you're going to be in a tough spot. But we'll try and help you out here as you use the last of your phone's battery in this desert scenario. <laughs> like wait. 
What did Mike and Spencer say I'm supposed to do? <laughs> Let me listen to this podcast. That's exactly. my best resource. So we'll stop talking about Boy Scouts. <laughs> so how do we? How do you? How do you prepare for this? How do you say, okay, I'm going out in the desert. I'm going to go on a trek or what have you. What should I? What should I do? What should I be doing ahead of time to make sure that I survive this event? Well, I think you should uh, look at your gear and start with the top, um, and get a big hat. Exactly. Yeah. You you actually really want to make sure that you protect your head and what's inside your head, your brain, because <laughs> your brain is the thing that's going to let you survive this entire thing. This is the, the device by which you'll be making all of your decisions and planning and everything. It's also the thing that's going to be fighting against you in terms of your will to survive and the panic that sets in. So keep your brain nice and cool and protected. Mm-hmm. That's, that's step number one. Actually, real step number one, now that I think about it, before you even pack a bag is... Tell people your plans and intentions. If you're going to be going through the desert, tell them where you're going, the route you're going. What drugs you're taking with you, if you're taking any. Exactly. (laughs) You need them to know everything. Like, what is it, the 125 or 127 hours movie where that guy who went bouldering and climbing cliffs Mm -hmm. and then he got his arm stuck and he didn't tell anybody where he was going, which is why he was out there by himself for so long and had to do the... Was his arm or his leg? It was his arm, and he had to basically sever his own arm over an agonizing hundred plus hours because he didn't make the first step. Tell people where you're going so that, hey, Mike hasn't been back. He was supposed to be back five hours ago. Let's go check out where he should have been. It's a five-hour trek in the desert I was taking. Yeah, it's very, (laughs) very lazy, very, it's it's a fun time. Yeah. So, So, yeah, yeah. put on a hat. (laughs) Put on a hat. Uh, the second thing you should do is uh, wear loose-fitting clothing in general. Long sleeves are good. I know it sounds like long sleeves in the desert, but the idea is to cover as much skin as possible because you're going to have that sun beating down on you constantly, and you want to protect yourself from the UV rays as much as possible, and the elements in general. Right, yeah. You you would think, yeah, keep it nice and cool, just like on a summer day, you would want shorts and yeah, sandals. Yeah, my, my hot pants and no, my tank top. <laughs> you don't want any of that in the desert. You want to be covered as best you can. Now, I'm not saying put on a sweater. yeah. But a loosely, you know, like a loose long sleeve shirt. Uh, speaking of UVs, if you got sunglasses, put on UV protected sunglasses. Obviously, mm-hmm. don't bake your eyes. Yeah. Uh, and then pack beyond what you're wearing. Pack some stuff that you're gonna need for the trip. So, you know, have a first aid kit. There, there have been a number of places that I looked at that saw pack a survival kit, and they're basically these little, you know, tin kits or a little bag. Essentially, you don't mm-hmm. want a backpack full of stuff if you can avoid it. You want something that is really small, portable, but has all of the essentials in it. The emergency essentials, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to have uh, your, like, I mean, your first aid kit will have, like, your, your basic little bottle of alcohol or some sort of wet nap that, like, lets you wipe something off. Probably not a whole bottle. It'll be a little heavier because you want to minimize as much as possible. Uh, but you'll have your, your Band-Aids and everything in your first aid kit if you need that. Yeah, you want to definitely bring a knife because knives are used for everything, I feel like, yeah. when you're out in the wild. Um, you want to look up where you're going. Mm-hmm. Definitely research a little bit. If you can bring a map, compass, if you have a GPS system, great. 
but yeah, canteens, multiple ones, yeah. because if one of them gets a leak, then you're screwed, and you definitely want to have backups. Right. Um, you don't have to have like 50 canteens on you, but <laughs> like small, yeah, smaller water bottles would be good, so you're still not carrying that much weight. Yeah, you can you can actually look it up online if you just kind of search for desert survival kits. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I saw these lists and they just had one thing after another, like a, a dozen to two dozen items that you could fit in such a small little space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, even you'd like, be thankful to have them. I think there's a thermal blanket which is pretty light mm-hmm. that you can actually put in one of those, and it's basically like like having a thing of tinfoil on you, but it will keep you warm because it will reflect all the heat. It's like shiny astro blanket kind of thing. And I remember even just uh, my my wife and I walked across Spain, and that was one of the things that we realized is you don't need a lot. Just bring the basic essentials mm-hmm. and you'll be set. And we had a pack of water, like a camelback, and an actual bottle of water to keep like two separate ones just in case something happened. We were around a lot more civilization, but pack super light as much as possible. Sure. So, you know, pack a survival kit, pack a first aid kit, wear the appropriate clothing, mm-hmm. have a plan, tell people your plan. These are all under the guise that you have the ability to prepare yourself for going into the desert. You know you're going into the desert, you have intent of going into the <laughs> desert and coming back out of the desert. Exactly. <laughs> That's 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 the ideal situation if you're in the desert. Right. So why would you be going into the desert in the first place then? And how would you end up in a situation where either you're there and you need to survive or you've been thrust into the situation and now you need to survive? Like, why are we in the desert? Why are we going there? Well, Besides finding these sweet, <laughs> sweet pirate ships. If, so if we're not in a helicopter that crashes and in, with the initial attempt of looking for a lost legendary pirate ship thing. Uh, other reasons you could be in the desert is you're driving through and your car breaks down mm-hmm. and it's a very remote area and there's not a lot of traffic through that area and your car breaks down because mm-hmm. it's easy to break down because there's so much heat beating down on you. Sure. Um, another pla- a plane might crash and then everybody on the plane dies except for you. Did you ever see the movie, uh, I think it's called Flight of the Phoenix? No, but I know what you're talking about. It's a very cool movie. It's about a bunch of people who survive a, a, a plane crash and there's one guy who figures out I can build it like I can rebuild it and I won't spoil it but it's a very fun I movie I saw a part of it it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a very good movie yeah uh, check it out for a plane crash survival <laughs> desert scenario uh, now, now most of these things that we're talking about is generally by yourself is what we were thinking if you yourself were lost in the desert but they could be applied to having multiple people but then there's another aspect of realizing that you got another person to worry about mm-hmm. and your mental stability with this other person right. too. Who's you know? going to eat who first? Yeah, exactly. sort of who's, who's imagining the other as a giant ham? Exactly. <laughs> other situations where you might be in this scenario, you were on a tour through the desert and you got left behind or lost or separated. Capybara. Uh, you could be trekking in there voluntarily, of course. Uh-huh. There are plenty of people who enjoy this sort of activity. They, they like the, the thrill of survival mm-hmm. uh, and going out and tra- trying to see can they hold their own out there against the wastes. You could also be part of a terrible practical joke. The worst practical <laughs> joke. There was this TV show where, ah, God, I can't remember, my brother was telling me about it, but there were these hardcore like military, like Green Beret mm-hmm. and like uh, British Air Force guys, and they were like hardcore guys, and they all made a pact that 
uh, in this show, they would actually go and kidnap the other person completely unexpectedly, and they were allowed to only go in the desert with one item that they requested when they originally made this pact, or like in some sort of survival situation. And right. So they kidnap him, and then they just throw him in the same place. And so they agreed to it, so they'll like willingly do mm-hmm. it, but they'll cover them up, and they won't know where they're going ahead of time, so they won't be able to plan. Wow. It's a pretty, that's a, <laughs> pretty intense That's a rough show. practical pro, practical yeah. joke. I'll, uh-huh. I'll settle for a nice whoopee cushion on my seat before we <laughs> record. Uh, so, yes, there's a whole host of ways that you could be here in the desert mm-hmm. needing to survive. So, we're here. Sun's baking down on us. What do we have to do? How are we going to get ourselves out of this? How are we going to keep alive long enough to get out of this? All right, so you want to start with the ABCs, right? The AB. <laughs> look this up. So the 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 story is don't panic. That's the very yeah. the most important thing that you need to do is actually not panic. Like I was saying earlier, your brain is going to be your most important tool actually of getting out of this entire thing, and your brain's going to fight you this whole way in terms of. Oh no, this is the worst thing in the world. I'm melting, mm. we're doomed, lay down and just accept this. Or even if you're walking, I need to eat, I need to drink, I need, right. where's my family? Yeah. Eat, eat, eat right now. Uh-huh. You need to fight the brain and you need to make sure that it, you're not panicking. And I looked this up and there was a, there was a guy who posted basically the, the ABCs of not panicking. <laughs> the first one, A, accept the situation. Yes. Accept which, the fact that you're in the desert. There's no point in denying it anymore. You're a, there. Yeah. It's a total uh, acceptable A. B <laughs> is brew a cup of tea. I, I should say that this was an Australian gentleman who wrote this particular <laughs> guide. And the, the, the lesson he was trying to impart here is that, first of all, make a fire. You need to make a fire in mm. order to brew a cup of tea. And then on top of that, by doing a familiar chore or task, it'll help calm you. It'll start preparing you to, after you've accepted you're in the desert, get yourself into a mental state of preparedness. Like, start getting ready to plan. If brew a cup of tea is in quotes, and you're like, okay, calm yourself down. Right. That makes sense. More or less. Be calm would be another five. Be calm. And then you have ABC. (laughs) C, then, is consider your options. Think about what do you have on hand. Did you bring a survival kit? What is remaining of your survival kit? Do you kit? have any water? Do you have anything at all other than the clothes on your back? If not, start considering everything that you have available to you. Take stock of your options. All I got is this Nikon camera. <laughs> You're in a rough spot. <laughs> then you have to, D, decide on a plan. Mm-hmm. You have to think about everything that you have, recognize the limitations of the supplies that you have, and make a plan. And... The last step, then, of this A through E is execute the plan. And importantly, stick to your plan. Mm-hmm. Don't start deviating. Don't start thinking, like, halfway through your plan, like, oh, maybe it would be better to do this because then you're really just you're wasting resources and time at that point in time. And I would even add an F and find a shelter. I would feel like that would probably be your first bet so you can really get your bearings and figure out where you are sure but the but you want to definitely get out of that sun especially if you're if you're abandoned or trapped or lost in the middle of the day because you don't want to be too do too much traveling during the day because that's when you're gonna waste most of your water so you have this hopefully you you're no longer panicking mm-hmm. hopefully you're ready to now tackle this survival situation. I've seen Man vs. Wild enough. I can do this. Exactly. Let's talk about some of the basic things that you need to keep track of or account for during this entire 
expedition. And I'm talking about things like fire, like shelter you were alluding to, food, water, and ultimately your escape. Mm -hmm. So we mentioned earlier in step B of brewing a (laughs) cup of tea that you need to build a fire. Um, There's a reason, there's a whole host of reasons why you build a fire. Mm -hmm. There's the warmth aspect, of course, which is at night in the desert, it gets surprisingly cold. It can get uh, 20 degrees in America, 20 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, but at night. So, like, surprisingly below freezing, and then in the daytime, it can get to, like, 110. Right. So you just got to keep that into consideration. These abrupt temperature changes are going to be the things that are going to cause you the most bodily stress. And Mm. so having a fire to help you transition between them is going to be really essential. But then it does things beyond just the warmth aspect of it. It's a signal, mm-hmm. uh, especially at night. It will be a light source in what will be a completely dark area around you. Uh-huh. Uh, it also is good for if you do happen to get some sort of animal. Mm-hmm. If you, I mean, by no means should you be hunting necessarily, but if there's if there's a way that you could get meat of some sort, it'd be helpful for cooking food or purifying water, definitely as far as um, heating things up. And then there's the, again, going back to your good friend, the brain, there's the psychological comfort of having a fire. Uh-huh. It allows you to feel like maybe you have a companion with you while you're out here. You're not alone. And then at night, think about, it's going to be pitch black it's going to be just the stars above you that is providing a light source and so the comfort of having the fire next to you is going to you know help you in terms of making it through the night and will keep other predators away from you because they won't want to be near the fire it's kind of like insane thinking about that so many people are raised in cities or near suburbs or or somewhere to where there's always light Mm -hmm. and being in complete darkness where there's no light anywhere except for maybe the reflection of the light on the moon Mm -hmm. it's kind of scary so yeah it definitely will help right and so you're gonna need to build a fire somehow Mm -hmm. now we don't have time to go over the dozens of different ways of starting a fire in a wilderness scenario. Hopefully, you have a survival kit that has some tools in there for helping you start a fire. Even something like a signaling mirror to use or a magnifying lens will help with this process. But there are a number of ways that you can do it also, just purely with anything that you might find in the nearby area. Mm, you could be a smoker, which also might help too. Yeah, if you have a lighter, <laughs> that, that would actually, this is the one time it pays off. Um, but like, there's the hand drill approach, which, did you ever see Castaway? Yeah, where you, you have the stick and you move your hands back and forth and rub it in the spot. Yeah, yeah you kind of like drill the stick down into a groove to try and, you know, with friction, essentially. There are a number of methods using friction alone. That Yeah, like the scrape method. Yeah, that yeah. you can use to try and produce the beginnings of a, a spark, essentially, and then use that to kindle and build the rest of the fire. If you have glasses on, that's a perfect magnifying glass thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever actually did that as a kid. Do you ever use magnifying no. glass? To, like, roast ants? Well, we didn't do ants. We would do action figures. Oh, <laughs> we would okay. melt their faces. No, I wouldn't burn ants. Good. That's just me. But. It's it's an important note actually about this whole building a fire process is that you actually shouldn't do this during the day. Uh, it's actually unless well, you need the sun. Unless you absolutely <laughs> need the sun to start the fire, yeah. you should do it either near like the tail end of the day while you're still getting light from the sun. But you're going to be exerting a lot of energy, especially if you're doing like a hand drill approach to lighting the fire. That that energy is going to just get sapped and sapped and sapped in the heat of the sun. Mm-hmm. And really that that source of light is going to be most beneficial to you anyway during the nighttime in in order to 
stave away predators, but also act as a signaling source for nearby search, like a search party. Mm-hmm. So don't at noon in the day, you know, start trying to build your fire. That's probably the best time to seek shelter and be shaded. It's really any any old shade that you can find is the best. Because mm-hmm. even if you were to build something, you wouldn't want to build it during the day if you were able to make a, a makeshift canopy or something. Because what will that will do is actually trap the heat underneath what you just built. Right. And so you want to make sure if you do build anything, it's near the tail end of the day or at night where things aren't going to be trapped underneath you. Right. <clears throat> so that's that's a little bit about fire there. Uh, and you, you alluded to here the next incredibly crucial part of all of this is the shelter for sure and then this is this is mind you uh, if you're staying in this one spot sometimes it's not necessarily beneficial to stay in one spot but we'll talk about that later the fire also before we get to shelter can also be used as a signal during the day with the smoke so if you were to move from your spot you would still have a big smoke signal if you were to stay in that spot you want to keep as much smoky stuff going on because people aren't going to see a fire during the day it also, if you decide to wander away from your camp, that smoke will not only act as a signal for other people, but it'll help you find camp yeah. because that is the danger of leaving wherever you first get dropped off in the desert is not knowing where you started, which might be an important origin point to, to keep track of. Exactly. So we got to find shelter. Yep. The F of the A, B, C, D, E, F of don't panic. F for shelter. Uh, find shelter. God, so <laughs> you're going to start sweating away your precious, precious water from your body. It's going to just start getting wicked away from your skin as the, the sun bears down on you. So you got to get out of there. Mm-hmm. You got to find shelter somehow. So what do we do? How, what, are, what, are our, what are our options here in terms of finding shelter? Well, if you're stuck, if you have a car and your car breaks down, your car can act as a shelter, but you don't want to be using it and be inside of it during the day. You want to try to create some sort of canopy. It's a tough situation because your car can bake you inside. Because mm-hmm. if it's if it's stopped, you don't have your air conditioning. It's probably not going to work. So you definitely want to try to make some sort of tent or some sort of shelter probably on the outside of your car to create new shade. But that's a tough situation because it is during the day. At the very least, try and use any kind of shadow cast by the car due to wherever the position of the sun is to try and lay in the cooler part of the the sand or the ground or wherever it is that you are than sitting inside essentially a metal sauna. Yeah. So, yeah, you could have a car with you. And if you do, that's golden because it's filled with resources that we'll talk a little bit more about later on. But if you don't have a car... You need to start taking stock of the possible uses of shelter around you. Now, there are, of course, plenty of geological sources of shelter. A, a small cliff face or a, caves are an option. You know, you don't want to go too deep in the cave, obviously, because you don't know who else might live in said <laughs> cave. What, what other people have been surviving in the desert for so long. Exactly. You can join their community. But you, you can find these sorts of even, br- like, uh, small sets of bushes uh, or brush brush life and create a canopy out of that you know use any sort of material that you might have on hand sheets of even you know cloth or blanket from your survival kit and drape them over where to create any sort of barrier between you and the sun mm-hmm. uh, and you also want to be wary if you do go to any sort of form- formations that provide shade because like you were saying there are animals out there and they're looking to keep away from the sun as much as you are they're they're built for it but they're also looking for for that shelter as well. Right. They're gonna be they're gonna be doing the same thing. So you don't wanna <laughs> you don't want a surprise like that. So 
you got to find shelter. And another thing to consider, and it, this is an interesting thing that you probably don't think of often with the desert, is you actually want to, if you know where a creek is or even a creek bed that's run dry, you actually want to stay away from that mm-hmm. when seeking your shelter or building a shelter because flash floods are a huge problem in the desert. Because when it rains, it pours. Yeah. And the ground is so hard that it's not able to absorb the water fast enough. And so you get these incredibly fast-moving gushes of water that will sweep you off your feet and wash you away. <laughs> oh, that's so romantic. <laughs> right into the side of a cliff. But also with the water, uh, animals. That's another thing. Animals are also looking for that water source. So if you do find like an actual like little creek or stream or something like that, animals will also be there too. So you want to know where it is, but stay far enough away that it's safe. So hopefully you have some sort of fire going. Uh-huh. You have a shelter of some sort, or yep. you have begun to make a makeshift shelter to to survive momentarily the time comes then to seek the other part or you know deal with the other parts of your body the the food and water aspect yes water is probably the most crucial yeah you're gonna think that you're gonna want food like your body's gonna tell you you want food you're gonna get the hunger pains eventually after a short period of time and you're gonna feel compelled to try and hunt um, you know a desert mouse or something like that and that's a huge waste of your energy. You actually don't want to try and hunt or gather food if possible because there's a number of reasons. Beyond the energy use, there's the fact that as you eat, your body will need water to digest that food. And so the more you eat, the more it's going to compel your body to drink water that you don't necessarily need to drink at that point in time in order to survive. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a constant source of water, if you're looking for water and finding it in we'll go into it, but just little crevices, Mm -hmm. then you're not going to want to eat. And the body can actually survive up to three weeks, I think, without eating. Yeah. Uh, But you can only survive maybe a day or two or three without water. Yeah, you have a much shorter time frame, given the heat of the desert and the amount that you'll be sweating and losing water, Uh that water's what you got to care about here. That's that's the, the main resource that you're trying to acquire because it's basically... How much water can you take in versus how much water are you expelling from your body through uh-huh. urine and through sweating, exactly. essentially? So, so how do we get water? I mean, hopefully you have some canteens on you. Yes. But if you don't have canteens, what should we do to preserve our water, make the most use of the water, or to find more water? Uh-huh. You might find water in the desert. Yeah. It is possible that you might find a small oasis of sorts, and that sort of oasis you can... you. You could drink from it, but that water is not always safe to drink, necessarily. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk a little bit later about exactly where to find water. Yeah. But if you do find water, thankfully you've got your good friend the fire to mm-hmm. then boil the water to make it safe for drinking. So mm-hmm. don't just find a small pool of dirty desert water and then start gulping it down because you'll probably get sick from that. And then mm-hmm. the water loss from getting sick is going to be much worse than the water intake. I was reading that if it was an extreme situation and you needed water, mm-hmm. it's better to drink that dirty water because the symptoms of that dirty water won't, will probably take a day or two to actually affect you where those like the dehydration, you, the dehydration like, you could instantly. Now. Yeah. Gotcha. So I did read that somewhere, but that's only in an extreme situation. If you if you can, like, purify it, then do that for right. sure. But you're not always going to be able to necessarily find water. Well, if, you, if you can't find water, then you need to do means of 
reducing your water loss. Mm -hmm. That's why we're you do things. <laughs> this is interesting. I like this note here that keep your mouth closed. Actually, that's a <laughs> shut up. <laughs> it's a it's a if you have your mouth open, like if you're walking around breathing with your mouth open, you're gonna get dehydrated way faster mm -hmm. than if you're breathing through your nose. Which is why you see people who wear the the like bandanas over their face and their to protect their mouth and cover it so that it preserves water loss or, uh -huh. you know, reduces water loss at that point in time. Uh, and then really it's just a matter of you don't want to gulp down your water right away. If you do have water, don't slam it down. Take small sips. It's the sort of thing that you know you're going to need to ration out. You can monitor the color of your urine and that'll actually let you know how hydrated you are. The lighter it is, you're probably good to go. If it starts going really dark, then start drinking some of your water. Yeah. You can use that as a gauge. But you might need to find water. Yes. You might need to, if if you run out of your canteen, if you didn't have a canteen in the first place, how are you going to acquire water in the first place in the desert? Okay, so there's a, a couple different ways. You can find those rock formations, and sometimes from an old rain, they'll have little divots or crevices that actually hold the water or flat surfaces. Most of the time, you won't find a lot of water in there, but some is better than nothing. Uh, you could also follow animal tracks leading downhill. That was something that I read. Or birds circling around something. Uh, or even insects, flying insects. They usually head towards water because that's where they'll breed. Uh, you can walk. If you see any green vegetation, go towards it. Uh, especially large plants with wide leaves is what they specifically say. Um, you can follow canyons or dry riverbed beds upstream. Uh and you look for depressions on the outside of the edge of the bends. Uh, basically, you're looking for, like, erosion. Uh, you can look for um, a slope of a hard, non-porous rock where rainwater would run into the soil, so anything that's, like, smooth. Um, another option that they talked about was digging, mm -hmm. is if you dig down and you actually feel moisture, what you can do is if, like, if it's a shaded area, you can dig down and then just let it sit for a couple hours, and water should pool into that little spot, which I thought was really kind of neat, and I had no idea. You dig about a foot down. Yeah, I saw a lot of people also mentioning this idea of building a solar still. If you have part of your survival kit, should actually be having some plastic wrap, believe it or not, which you dig this wide hole in the ground, you put a canister in it, and then you put the plastic wrap over the hole and weigh it down with some stones and kind of have it sag oh, towards your canister. Yeah. The plastic then will catch and trap any moisture that does kind of come up from the ground that you, you know, the hole that you've dug up. And since you've sloped the plastic down, it'll it'll kind of gather back down and pour into your canteen or cup or whatever it is that you might have. That's it's, really neat. It's a, it's a process to make it, but if you feel confident that it's going to pay off, then it is worth the energy. If you end up having like one of those semi-permanent areas that you're sticking around at and you're not right. traveling a lot, for sure. Um but you also, with that finding water, look out for signs of dehydration. Because if you do start running out, like you said, dark smell of urine, dry skin, dizziness, mm -hmm. fainting if you happen to faint. But dizziness is a huge thing. If you get dizzy, get, get under shelter uh, and drink some of that water. So don't find food is the moral of the story. <laughs> don't try hunting. Yeah. Preserve your water. You have a couple options in terms of finding water, but definitely do whatever it takes to preserve the water that you have on hand. You've got a fire. You've got a shelter. Hopefully, you have a goal here of trying to escape this yeah. desert. You don't want to just live here now. 
So, well, you've accepted it. <laughs> you've accepted your fate. You've accepted the situation. Step one. Step one, this is your permanent residence, so now, change your address. Now, you mentioned earlier this idea that you, you could have a car with you. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about what a car might afford you, but there's it's full of resources that you might not initially think of when it comes to desert survival. So yeah. there are the mirrors on the car, for instance. Those can be used as signaling mirrors to kind of gain the attention of flying aircraft that might be searching for you. They can also be used to position the sun and help you with lighting a fire. Mm-hmm. There's gasoline in a car. Mm-hmm. Which helps light fires. <laughs> exactly. If you're able to to siphon out some of the gas, that will help you with starting your initial fire. And then there's oil in a car as well. Mm-hmm. I and mean, if you burn oil, it's a really black, gross, smoky fire that you create. I never even thought about but yeah. And that'll actually help you with the signaling part. So we, you, t- you mentioned this earlier, the fire is going to be helpful during the day if it's really smoky. And so you actually want to do more of your oil-based fire during the day if you have access to a car because a plane or a search party is going to see black smoke during the, the brightness of the day. But at night, you need the bright light of a, a standard fire, which you might get the assistance of your gasoline to help with. It's really interesting because you never see a big old plume of black smoke mm-hmm. and think like anything positive. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's part you always of the think course. something bad happened right over there. Right. So you've got gas, you've got mirrors and oil. Uh-huh. You have a horn on your car, hopefully. If your battery still works. Yeah. Your battery has can produce sparks as well. Mm-hmm. So you have a a signal possibility from your your horn. The battery can produce sparks, which can help you with lighting a fire. Uh Uh, And... I mean, and other resources you might have in the car. So if you have... Some people keep jugs of water in the back of the car, which Mm -hmm. will definitely be helpful. And your car could be a decent spot if you don't see anywhere else that you really could go or if you don't know a direction that you're in. And you're like, okay, I need to wait here and wait for a search party. Especially if you're driving somewhere, Mm -hmm. then you're probably near road. And eventually, if you wait there for three weeks, somebody might drive by. It's a lot easier to spot a car from the air than it is an individual person walking Mm -hmm. around. So it's also easy to spot big messages Mm -hmm. from the air. So just like you see in cartoons and in movies, spell out SOS or help with any kind of sticks or dig it into the sand or do whatever you can to make a big old written message. Uh And if there's obviously a water source near you, you kind of want to stay put because that's going to keep you alive. Yeah. Yeah. That's the ideal situation. You have a car that's near a water source. You have a much better chance at that point. (laughs) Put up your picket fence. Uh, But if you don't have a car and you decide that you need to travel, like we said, travel, what we were saying before, you don't want to do too much stuff during the day. You want to travel more at night. Um, not necessarily in the darkness, like in the pitch black, but when the sun starts going down, when it gets a little cooler, that's when you want to travel. Dusk and dawn are your good windows because mm-hmm. the, the sun has either stopped baking the earth or has not quite started baking the earth around you, and you have an, an easier temperature with which you can move around, and it won't cause sweating at that point in time. Uh-huh. And you want to look for landmarks. Um, if you can, if you know that there was a, a town or a city near a mountain and you see the mountain you're like, oh, I need to head that direction, start heading that direction or use a map if you got it. That'd mm-hmm. be great. If you don't have a compass, uh, and you're in the Northern hemisphere, you can actually look for the North star Polaris, which is the last star of the little dipper. It's not necessarily the brightest star. A lot of people think, oh, North star is the brightest star in the sky. It's not. It's just the one that's always North. If you were on the North pole and you looked up, that's where Polaris would mm-hmm. be. 
But you can't see it on the Southern Hemisphere, unfortunately. <laughs> in Australia. In Australia, where? yeah. So where you probably will be lost <laughs> you anyway. absolutely but will need all information. You know, in Arizona. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. You have, a, you have a note here, and it's, it's an important note. At the end of the day, you need to be smart about all of this. Mm-hmm. We, can, we can give you a whole host of options and tools and advantages that you might be able to, to use, but... If you don't use them smartly, then there's no point in having any of this information. Mm-hmm. You have to think very practically about the situation that you have, the supplies that you have, and your options. And don't don't let your brain talk you out of certain things. Really, really take the time to assess the situation. Mm-hmm. And yeah, don't jump into things. Mm-hmm. If you're reaching under a rock, poke it first. See if there's something underneath there because everything is out there to survive and they're going to think somebody's bothering them and they're going to sting you. They're going to bite you. Something's going to happen. So you definitely want to just make sure you're smart about everything you do. Don't touch spiny plants. Don't touch cacti. A lot of people think, oh, you cut a cacti in and I can just drink the water right out. It's not true. There's, mm-hmm. It's just like pulp in there. It's, it's, it's all grainy stuff that the cactus uses to absorb the water, but it's their water. You're not getting that water. <laughs> and, and any water that you might find in there sometimes can be toxic or is not potable at that point in time. So yeah. it's, again, extreme last measure sort of water source if necessary situation. Yeah. Uh, and some I, I did read that occasionally there will be bees Sure, why not? In the Throw desert. that in, too. Which, which <laughs> I'm terrified of bees probably as much as you're terrified oh, okay. of snakes. Okay. And I, like, if, if there's a lagoon with mermaids swimming around in it mm. and lush, lush uh, palm trees, and there's a beehive there, I'm not going mm-hmm. anywhere near that. I'll gotcha. go towards the mountain or the cacti. Sure. But, uh. So those but, are the basics of survival. Yeah. Be oh. smart. And, and don't, don't panic. panic. <laughs> Those are the two important lessons to take away from this. And drink water occasionally. Sparingly. <laughs> That's all I've got. That, I mean, there's a whole... Like, we could go over all the methods of lighting fire or not, but that's the gist of desert survival, I mm. think. And hopefully, if if you do get caught, you'll go back and listen to this podcast and right. or even just think, well, what did Mike and Spencer say? Right. So listen to this over and over again, and then it'll bring <laughs> to your brain. But if you don't got anything else... That's all I got. Well, thanks for listening. Um, if you want to tell us your favorite desert to get lost in, or if you've got any other survival tips, uh, go ahead and shoot an email over to beyondtheboardpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to see any um, uh, fun stuff that we're doing online, you can check us out on Twitter or Instagram at goingbtb or... Brutti. Brutti. Bountifully. <laughs> <laughs> which is B in the ABCs of survival. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> or uh, you can subscribe to the podcast. Uh, that'd be great. And leave a review. Uh, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, and, that really helps. Yeah, it really does help. That's nice. I like hearing from you guys. So um, but that's about it. Yeah, um, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. And uh, go build a sandcastle. castle.